We're in Philippians chapter number three. That's going to be our launching point today. About seven years ago, I uh, had a chance to speak to you about these four words, and I feel very impressed to share it again with you this evening. And uh, I want to encourage you as you get into a brand new year to be passionate about the things of God. I want to be passionate. I want to be stirred up. And now prayer is important. You know, prayer is, uh, is vital. It's, it's God majors on prayer. 148 times in the Bible, preaching is mentioned. Almost 600 times, prayer is mentioned. And prayer is something we all need a, a good dose of, don't we? And uh, when Jesus prayed, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think that's uh, a little powerful there. He had 12 disciples. One of them said, let's teach us to pray. Probably the, the ratio hasn't changed very much. Probably about one ever 12 persons in this room have any interest in any real serious prayer. Probably the same way with pastors. About one in 12 pastors have any interest in prayer. But prayer is a necessity. There's two things that help us pray. One is helplessness and faith. <laughs> when you get helpless enough, you'll, you'll talk to the Lord. If you think you got this, I know how to do this. I've done this lots of times. I've sang this song. I've, I've played this. I've ran this camera. I've, I've been an usher many times. I've gone soul winning. I know how to do this. I can witness to people. I can teach a junior church or I can preach a message. If you can do it by yourself, you will. <laughs> but if you realize you can't do it, you need God, then you'll begin to pray. Amen. Helplessness and faith make us pray. Now, practice and perseverance make us good at prayer. And prayer is so important because there's two things that are birthed out of prayer. Number one, uh, in prayer, you, you have a vision to see things the way God sees it. It's wonder how hard and challenging it is to pray because if you really start praying, you would get in tune with God. It's a two-way street. While you're talking to Him, He'll be talking to you. You get in, in tune with the Word of God in prayer, there's two-way street. And here's what happens. I get to see things the way God sees things. I get a vision for how God, what he's trying to accomplish. But the second byproduct of prayer is a passion to do it. That's a challenge. Most of us, we, we might have a little vision about how God wants to do something, but we don't have a passion to get up and do it. We don't have a passion to give to it, to, to persevere through it, to witness. We know God wants the world to hear about Christ. We're not sure how he wants to use us to do it. And we don't have the passion to get up and do something about it. And boy, we need that, and prayer fosters that. But we need, we need to have a, a passion for the Lord. Several years ago, I, I thought about these four words, and I'll give them to you real quickly, and we'll, we'll stop on the last one. But four things I think all of us need as we face a new year. Number one, we need purpose. We need to understand what we're, what we're on this planet to do. I think we forget that because we get caught up with this world. We get caught up with thinking, if I have a relationship, then I'll be better. I can do this. If I have this money, if I get this, if I land this job, if, if I can just get through this stage of my life. But God's looking about something a little bit bigger than that. And I think we have a loss of purpose sometimes. Teenagers, young people. We get caught up in the nasty now and now. We get caught up in a position or, a, or possessions, prosperity. And we forget that God's in the, he's in the business of, of, of getting things done. Remember Michael Latito, he was known for, um, in, the, in the Guinness Book of World Records, 
he got excited because he found he could do something that no other person could do. And that he found a machine that would grind metal and glass into powder. And he could digest it. He had a stomach, a good strong stomach. And so he started slowly grinding up metal and glass and putting it in his oatmeal, his cereal, and his food. At the end of his life, he got in the Guinness World's Book of Record for several accomplishments. He was able to eat 10 bicycles, six chandeliers, a grocery cart, and eventually a small Cessna airplane. What a man. What an idiot. Why would you spend your life putting a small Cessna airplane in powder and eat it in your oatmeal so you could get your name in a book to be the only man to ever digest that much metal and glass? Now, most of us, you're thinking what I'm thinking. That guy had rooms for rent upstairs unfurnished. He had some issues. But you know what? He's not too far off the mark of many Christians who have the Holy Spirit of God, who have a Bible, who have gifts and talents, and yet we don't use what God's given us to do for His eternal purpose. When you see the words, will you go? Is God calling you? It's just like, not me, buddy. I'm glad they're doing it, though. I'll give another $10 next week. That's, that's kind of our mentality. And God has a purpose. There's something he's trying to do in this world. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. And we need to be more yielded to him for that purpose. There are many verses in the Bible that talk about purpose. And I think some verses just consolidate all Christianity in those verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, where the Bible tells us that... Um, Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, recognize God in the equation, and do what he tells you to do. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Micah says in chapter 6 and verse number 8, He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord doth require thee, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. I mean, if you only had one verse in the Bible, you could probably figure it out from that. Some of you have your favorite life verse, which would be Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not, John, into your own thinking, understanding what you get. In all your ways, acknowledge God. Acknowledge Him. And then take in, take, reach out. Let Him take your hand. He'll direct your path. But people go a whole lifetime. Saved by the grace of God and don't have the faith enough to let God lead them. To do what he wants them to do. To go where he wants them to go. To prepare for whatever he wants for their future. We're just self-absorbed. Not, not remembering that. That we belong to God. I belong to God. Everything starts with God. This pulpit is not my pulpit. This church is not my church. These people are not my people. I'm not, I don't have my own health. You don't have your own health. The gospel is not my gospel. The book is not my book. The command, the commission is not my commission. Everything is from God. And he wants us to see his purposes. 
And I'm struggling. I'm, I don't have it all clear. I, I want to see it better. I want it to be very clear what God wants to accomplish. In Philippians chapter 3, you'll find a fella who understood God. He was arrested by him on the road to Damascus. He, was, he, was, he met face to face with him. He was his, in, his nemesis, his adversary, and then he met him face to face, and uh, Saul was no match for Jesus. And when Saul found out who Jesus was, his next question was, Lord, what will you have me to do? Now, it wasn't right away. He, God did not even let him. I think there was at least seven years, maybe 10 years, before he was able to even go to Antioch and to work there. He had to go through some preparation times. And by the way, you can't rush the washing machine. God is not in a hurry. He's trying to work. And you can work while you're preparing to work. But all of us ought to keep preparing. But here he was preparing in Damascus first and and then potentially over in Arabia for three years with the Lord Jesus Christ, back to Jerusalem trying to reconcile. That's not working. Let's go off to Tarshish. And then later, Barnabas brings him to Antioch. He serves there, and then the Lord chooses uh, Barnabas and, and Saul for the work that he sent them out to do. Potentially, many people believe he only served the Lord as a missionary for 18 years. Died in his early 60s executed by the Roman government. But in that time, God used the Apostle Paul in unbelievable ways. The Bible says all that in Asia heard of Jesus. He spent three years teaching in Ephesus, a year and a half in Corinth, passing through smaller towns of Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea, and uh, those areas. Back and forth, reporting back to the church, going back to Jerusalem. Working through the Jerusalem council and what was required of Jews and what was required of Gentiles in Acts chapter 15. And then spending his life shipwrecked, beaten, uh, uh, whipped, all the things, stoned, left for dead, all those things. But in the process, God used him in a marvelous way. And I think you can read Philippians chapter 3 and figure out a little bit how God used him. Because that was on his heart. That I count all my things. By the way, account uh, is, a, um, is an evaluation term. And everybody needs to evaluate what you're doing with your life, and especially at the beginning of a year. How passionate are you about whatever is going on? I enjoy sports and probably to a shame. I enjoy that kind of thing. And sometimes like it's easy for me to get excited about a ball game. And I wonder, some do I get as excited about the things of Christ? Some of you are very excited about whatever's going on in the sports world or in hobbies or workplace, but we listen to a song two times and you're thinking, that's going to be a four-minute song. Good night. When are we going to get out of here? And it doesn't, it doesn't resonate. You don't understand even praise or any, any contemplation about God. God's just somewhere out there. He's not a personal friend. We're missing our purpose. And it's one thing for an unsaved person to sit in Soldier Field or Lambeau Field or, or sit in some uh, uh, United Center or Wrigley Field or uh, in some office complex someplace in downtown Chicago or, or, or wherever they want to be on the Florida Keys. Or It's one thing for an unsaved person to not get it. 
But it's another thing for someone who's been let up by the gospel of Christ to not get it. Because when salvation comes, that's when you have Jesus. Surrender is when you understand that Jesus is supposed to have you. And you're in this role. You have a role to play. There's something God wants you to do. And it's not everybody to preach behind a microphone or strap on a lapel mic. But everybody ought to have a role that, you're, that you are serious about. God, what do you want to do to use my life to get the gospel to the regions beyond? You may never go. You may never get a passport and go someplace. But you have a role in getting people the gospel. And if we miss that, it's on us. But the Apostle Paul, he said, I want to, to know Christ and make him known. I want to know who he is. And when, he found, when you find out who Jesus is, then you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. Because to know him is to love him. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And to the extent that you and I have any interest in knowing Jesus Christ is the extent of the sealing of, of effort and giving and love and a reckless abandonment we'll have to him. If you have a low opinion of Jesus, you're going to live a very low life. Your checkbook will prove it, your time, your schedule, your effort, your energy, your prayer life, everything is going to be birthed out of an understanding of who God is. Jeremiah reminds us it's not to the mighty. He says, don't let the mighty man glory in his might or the, the intelligent man in his wisdom. But if you want to glory about something, glory in the man who knoweth and understands God. When we know him, then we will, we'll, we'll, there's no end to what we'll do for him. We love him. It's purpose. I want to encourage you to say, God, help me to fulfill my purpose. Secondly, I want to give you the thought of, of, um, of responsibility. Take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18. Give you a few moments to find it. And if you haven't found it in a few minutes, just fake it and look anywhere in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel chapter 18... God has the prophet approach the people of God because really the younger generation were making excuses why they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. And people who are good at making excuses aren't usually good at anything else. Taking responsibility is very rare. No one takes responsibility. You ever been in a restaurant when something drops, everybody just kind of walks away? It wasn't me, it wasn't me. We had a spill out here a while ago in, in the, in the sinkspiration. I was very grateful. Someone saw the spill, fixed the spill, went up and got a bag, got, got something to wipe it up. Most of us look and say, well, that's going to be a mess. Someone's going to get that. Well, I didn't spill it. Taking responsibility. Well, God comes at people pretty strong. Let's look at chapter 18 of Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, would you read verse eight with, or verse two with me, everyone? What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, He said, you guys, there's a saying, a proverb that you guys like to say, it's not my fault. It's my parents. 
It's the way I was treated when I went to school. It's someone else's. It's my mom and dad. They ate sour grapes, and now look what's wrong with my teeth. They ate sour grapes, and I got a bad taste in my mouth about everything. By the way, God help you if you spend your life focused on a couple things done against you at the expense of all the blessings been done for you. Well, my dad and mom, my teacher, my people did this. And I'm not saying someone doesn't have a responsibility back then, but God's not going to accept a, a, an excuse from you. You know, my parents ate sour grapes, and now my teeth, because, you know, we got issues. I got a bad taste in my mouth because of what my parents did. That's what they were saying. And the Lord said, you know, I don't like that proverb. And it's not going to fly with me. Look, if you would please, what he says in verse number three. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use the proverb in Israel. That's not going to fly. We're not going to go there. I'm not going to take that lousy excuse. You're blaming your mom and dad. You're blaming your aunt. You're blaming your teacher. You're blaming everybody that happened in your past. Something happened. We're just not going to do that. We're not, I'm not taking that excuse. Now look at verse number four, would you? Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, also the soul of the Son is mine. And would you read the end of verse number four? Every person is responsible to God. Look at verses 19 and 20. And say ye, why doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? And when the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. But the soul that sinneth, it shall and the Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. And the righteousness of the righteousness, uh, the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall, shall uh, be upon him. God's reminding us that I'm responsible for me, and you're responsible for you. And God's not taking any excuses from you. Listen, if you want to live a, like an idiot, that's on you. If I want to live like an idiot, that's on me. And there's no, don't, don't play the blame game. It's not going to do that. I think there's a couple things that teach me in this passage. And this is the word. First word is, 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 is purpose. Second word is responsibility. You ought to take responsibility for your own life and even the sins of your parents if you need to. Take responsibility. You don't have to air it out. But if your parents weren't all they ought to be, or your teacher wasn't all they ought to be, or your youth worker wasn't all they ought to be, or your pastor, or your pastor's wife had issues, or what have you, he goes, all right, accept the fact. Take responsibility for your own sin and the sins of your parents, and, and be done with it. And start a new cycle if need be. I think another thing we ought to do, we ought to take responsibility for our own uh, the scriptural influence that God has given us. What God has given you. Most of us, we said in Sunday school classes, we've been discipled, whether through a program or just personally. We've been loved and cared for. You're not sitting in a, in a kingdom hall tonight. You weren't raised in a mosque. You're not in a temple. God exposed you to so much light. And you've got to take responsibility for the spiritual influence God has given you. Young man, young lady, you go to a Christian school, you ought to thank God. You have a youth group to go to, thank God for that. You have a, a Sunday school class to attend. 
You ought to remind yourself, look, I've got to take responsibility for what God's given me. And God help you. And God help me. Boy, if, if I ever go off the deep end and do something stupid or, or go off in a, in a doctrinal error, I ought to be shot for all that was given to me. It wasn't given to my dad. My dad had a really rough background. And he pulled his way out of that and took some of the damage, the collateral damage of his own upbringing. I didn't have that same story. No one ever messed with me. God gave me such sweet opportunities. And if I, if I, if I take that and trash that, woe is me. And I think how many of you would say, I'm with you, Pastor. That's my life too. Would you raise your hand? God help you. Decide, you know what I want? I want to take responsibility. If I need to take responsibility for my own past and my own sin or my parents' sin, okay, I'll take it. It's not going to have to, whatever happened in the past doesn't have to give me a bad taste in my mouth today and spend my time talking about someone eating sour grapes. And it's all their fault. Not anyone else's fault. I can take care of my responsibility. Number two, I need to take responsibility for the spiritual influence that God has given me. I think we ought to take spiritual influence for the supply of grace that God has given me in times of difficulty. How many can think of a pretty low time in your life where God met you, gave you grace when you didn't think you were going to make it through the day, much less the week? God met you at a point and gave you his grace. Apostle Paul, he kept that in his mind. He goes, I, I don't want to waste grace. When, if God gave it, it's by God's grace I am what I am. Take, take responsibility uh, I think about Brandon, see his beautiful family down here, his beautiful wife expecting a baby. Just a few years ago, Brandon was sleeping on a, in a storefront out in front of the sidewalk, high out of his mind on drugs, and now he's sitting here as a good man, a hard-working electrician with his wife and children. Brandon, you ought to remind yourself, that's grace. What we're seeing right here is God's grace, a better road to recovery home. All the things going on, and boy, you ought, to, you ought to say, Lord, Lord, please don't let me waste grace. Whatever it is that God graced your life with, who was a friend or a loved one or, or brought you through a deep and dark time, don't waste the grace. Take responsibility for what God has given you, the spiritual influence, the grace he's given you. And I say also, take responsibility for somebody else in your sphere of influence. You know, I, I, it grieves me, and I, I'm in the boat too, but I don't want to forget that I have responsibility for other people. What was Cain's statement when he asked for Abel? <laughs> it's not me, man. Hands off, it might, it's, it might, it's not my day to watch you. You know, every one of us, we have a responsibility to get people the gospel and help people grow. We need to take that responsibility. Aren't you glad that Andrew went first and got his brother Peter? You know, Andrew didn't write any books of the Bible, to my knowledge. He didn't, he didn't preach. No, none of his sermons are in the Scriptures. Peter's are, though. Peter was used of God in a great way. You know what Andrew did? He brought, he brought Peter to Jesus. And, and you and I ought to do that. Some of you, bless your heart, I don't know why, but I don't, I don't, you come and you need to think about what am I here for and what am I going to use the next 168 hours of my week with? Could I use one of those to disciple someone? To take them out to eat or to sit with them and go through a discipleship lesson? 
Could I come to church with a note, with a smile, with a good word? Could I come to church with a, a note for a single mom that's trying to raise her children and just say, look, we are in this with you. We're in your corner. We love you. Did you come to be a blessing? I think it's important we learn to do that. We ought to take responsibility for somebody else. There's someone in this world that would be very happy if you would take time to help them grow in the Lord. Can you afford one hour of your 168? Most of us can do that, but we don't want to take responsibility for somebody else. You and I ought to take, we ought to make someone else's spiritual growth our own personal responsibility. Or you can just sit and, and just take in everything that God's given you and complain about some stuff. You know, one thing about soul winners and disciplers is they're, they're, they're busy. And you know what? You get in there helping people, you know what you're going to find? A lot of, a lot of need for God's help. It'll cause you to pray when you get in where you can't feel the bottom of the pool trying to help somebody. Make someone else's spiritual growth your personal responsibility. We've got 12 months to do it in 2024, and we may not have 12 months. We may not have 12 minutes. We may not have 12 days. Here's what I found out when it comes to soul winning and discipleship. If I'm not careful, a week turns into a month. And a month turns into a quarter. And a quarter turns into six months. And before long, I've gone a whole year without discipling somebody. I've gone a half a year, I haven't even talked to someone about Christ. And, I just, and, and just, we just kick the can, kick the can, kick the can. But oh, how we need to understand God's purpose for our life. Apostle Paul said, I, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And now I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And it was all about getting people. To, he said, all things I'm going through are for your sakes. An others-oriented life. Most of us are not familiar with that. Our world is our world and whatever goes on, and we're in the center of our world. Everything's about us. If I'm happy, everybody can be happy. If I'm not happy, ain't nobody happy. If I don't like this, or I'm lonely, or I don't have this, or this, this situation not the way I like it, we just spend our life looking inward. When God wants us not to, with this selfie illustration, just look at itself. We ought to be looking outward. I think God wants us to stop the message right now, and I will. But two words maybe you can think about as you face 2024 is purpose and responsibility. Responsible for my past and even my parents' past if I need to confess it. Responsible for the spiritual influence that God's given me, for the grace He's bestowed upon me. Not to waste that His grace might not be given to us and in vain. And responsible for somebody else's spiritual development. I want to encourage you, let God rattle our cage on this. Would you pray for me? Because I really, I'm not satisfied with where Pastor Wilkerson is. You may be satisfied where you are. I'm not satisfied where I am. There's a huge room for improvement on this platform and at this speaker. I, I imagine there's probably some room for improvement in your world. Let's ask God to help us, to take purpose and responsibility and make it a passion as we face 2024. Let's stand together. Can we please?